Hello and welcome to episode 35 of EV Brief. I'm your host Jonathan McFeet and on today's show, the Nissan Leaf E Plus and Mazda MX-30 launch on the Australian market. We'll look at some figures on global EV sales in the first quarter of this year. New Yorkers are set to see a fleet of Tesla Model Ys hit the streets under rideshare company Revel. Toyota is finally getting into the BEV game and EV subsidies are finally on the cards in the Australian state of Victoria, but at what price? These stories and more on today's show, so let's jump in. Now let's start the show with Nissan. The Nissan Leaf E Plus starts at $60,490 in Australia. That's over $10,000 more than the regular Leaf. But you do get a 62 kilowatt hour battery with a 385 kilometer range. Unfortunately, Nissan has stuck with passive cooling for the Leaf's battery, which is a considerable disadvantage against most of this vehicle's competition, which offer liquid-cooled thermal management systems. The Leaf E Plus offers 100 kilowatt peak DC charging at 350 volts, providing a 20 to 80 percent charge in around 45 minutes. Nissan was also one of the first automakers to offer vehicle-to-grid technology, and the Leaf range is capable of bidirectional charging. Meanwhile, Mazda's MX-30 is an interesting electric crossover because Mazda claims that it has deliberately opted for a small battery of 35.5 kilowatt hours to provide a balance between driving range and CO2 emissions from a life cycle assessment perspective. At 35.5 kilowatt hours, the 200 kilometer range Mazda is obviously better for the environment and the vehicle's weight, and perfectly fine if you're after a city runabout. But here's the kicker the MX30 electric will start at $65,490. That's almost $52,000 US. While we certainly welcome more electric competition in the Australian market, the Nissan and Mazda will have an uphill battle luring customers away from Tesla's $62,000 Model 3 Standard Range Plus or Hyundai's $62,000 Kona Electric. Now, as you may have seen on our website recently, Toyota has signalled its intentions to roll out 15 battery electric vehicles by 2025, starting with the BZ4X crossover sometime in 2022. BZ stands for Beyond Zero, and the 4X, well, we don't really know. This news is significant because Toyota as a company has been openly hostile to full electric vehicles, preferring to pedal hybrids, fuel cell and good old fossil fuel vehicles. This despite a serious presence in China with electric vehicles there that are only for the Chinese domestic market. The BZ4X carries familiar Toyota design elements and shares a similar cab rearward profile to Kia's upcoming EV6. Now based on the ETNGA platform co-developed with Subaru, all-wheel drive variants of the BZ4X will utilise Subaru's proven all-wheel drive technology. Toyota has released limited technical information so far on the car, but with changing regulations in some of the company's biggest markets, it can't afford to ignore battery electric vehicles any longer. Over to EV sales now, and it's been a great start to the year for EV manufacturers. As you've probably all heard by now, Tesla had a record first quarter, beating earnings expectations with 10.389 billion US in revenue and a total of 187,877 vehicles delivered for the quarter. That gave Tesla the global lead with 25% market share of battery electric vehicles. But what about the rest? Looking at battery electric vehicles only, Chinese auto conglomerate Seik, best known for its MG and Rho electric vehicle brands, came in second with 17% market share and 124,900 vehicles delivered. Volkswagen closed in on Seik, taking the number 3 spot with just over 63,000 deliveries for an 8% market share. 
This was followed by BYD with 38,826 vehicles for the quarter and Stellantis with its many, many, many brands delivering 35,450 EVs in the quarter. SAIC is the interesting one here, jumping over 6% in market share when compared to Q4 2020. Volkswagen has big hopes of catching SAIC and Tesla in 2021 as production delays slowed EV ambitions last year. It remains to be seen what effect the current microprocessor shortage will have on production this year for the company. Well, if you live in Manhattan, you'll be familiar with Revel, the electric motor scooter sharing service. Well, Revel has just announced it has added the first of many Tesla Model Ys to its fleet, launching its own ride-hailing service. Revel plans for the 50 Model Ys to operate only below 42nd Street at this stage, and the vehicles will be modified to increase passenger legroom. They can still seat five passengers plus the driver, though, thanks to the third row of seats in the back. Obviously, Teslas as ride-hail vehicles are cool, but what's even better is that Revel will own and maintain the fleet with drivers hired by the company and eligible for employee benefits like healthcare and leave, unlike companies like Lyft and Uber. Commercial EV manufacturer Lion Electric is taking advantage of the US's attitude swing towards EVs under the new Biden administration, announcing a new manufacturing facility in Illinois. Lion manufactures medium and heavy-duty urban vehicles such as school buses and trucks. Lion claims the new facility will represent the largest dedicated production site for zero-emissions commercial vehicles in the US. Construction is expected to ramp up in the second half of 2021, providing a minimum of 745 jobs to the region over the next three years, while producing up to 20,000 vehicles. Electric school buses are a no-brainer when it comes to the delicate lungs of children, but the US and Australia, for that matter, have been languishing when it comes to electrifying their bus fleets. Lion has delivered over 390 BEV buses in North America since 2016, and under Biden's decarbonisation plan, it appears they would have a captive market domestically. There are over 480,000 school buses in the US, transporting an estimated 26 million students to and from school every day. As we reported on evbrief.com earlier this week, Chinese automaker Neo is entering the European market, commencing with Norway. Neo has already created a local management team and is in the process of building a Neo House, its version of a brand showroom and service centre, as well as its own high-speed chargers. Rolling out, oddly enough, their largest SUV, the ES8, in Norway first, the vehicle will be delivered in September this year to customers. The company's Smart ET7 sedan will launch later in 2022, following Chinese market introduction, and then Neo will roll out five additional European markets also next year. The company will also be rolling out its battery swap stations in Norway, which enable vehicle batteries to be exchanged at automated facilities within three minutes. Let's talk EV subsidies now, and as quickly as the Victorian government in Australia proposed a tax on electric vehicles, they've introduced some incentives to help reach their net zero targets, and also reach their 50% zero emissions vehicle sales by 2030 target. Let's be clear, these incentives are a half-hearted attempt to cure the outrage at best and serve to help push the EV tax legislation through Parliament. The EV tax will basically be a 2.5 cent per kilometre charge that will work out to be around $300 to $400 per year for the average EV driver. This is meant to offset a falling excise from petroleum, but this ill-thought-through policy will likely hamper EV uptake. Demonstrating how poor an idea it is, the distance EV drivers travel will be manually calculated to apportion the tax. But what about plug-in hybrid drivers? They'll be responsible for paying fuel excise as well as the EV tax. 
Now, if you drive interstate, how will the government tax you, if at all? It's seriously dumb. So what's the government done? They've su they're subsidising $3,000 grants for 4,000 vehicles uh, this year, 2021, up to a maximum number of 20,000 vehicles total. Now, that's just a drop in the bucket when it comes to vehicle sales. Over 2 million Victorian households had at least one and up to three or more cars in 2016. The $100 million package is only open for fully electric or hydrogen fuel cell powered cars and SUVs and not zero emissions motorcycles or heavy vehicles such as trucks or buses. This is, this is also bizarre because surely more electric bikes will greatly reduce car traffic on Victoria's roads and even a reduced grant would be great to kickstart the electric bike industry in Australia. Australia's heavy vehicle fleet should also be transitioned away from internal combustion too. As a matter of urgency, heavy particulate matter from transport is a serious problem here in Australia and it's made all the more serious by our lax emission standards and lack of sulphur-free diesel. So what's the solution? I've been a vocal advocate for Victoria and other states to look holistically at reform of the road transport system. Zero emissions vehicles are of critical importance. However, reducing congestion and heavy vehicles on local streets is just as important too. I believe a user pays system for all is critical and that it should be based on weight. SUVs, electric or otherwise, take up a huge amount of space and are a luxury for us city folk. They're terribly inefficient too, yes, even electric ones, so vehicles should be charged based on weight, which would encourage manufacturers to bring a, a greater variety of cars to Australia, but it will also encourage consumers to downsize where possible. Charges for petrol, diesel or electric vehicles should be based on distance if you live in a close radius to a capital city and there's good public transport. If I choose to drive at 8am on a Friday into the city, I should have to pay for that privilege through a combination of distance-based charges, but also I think a congestion charge as is seen in cities like London. Zero emissions vehicles could be given concessions to encourage uptake, but the key point I want to make that governments seem incapable of making is that every driver in a petrol or diesel car, van or truck currently gets a free ride by not having to pay for the pollution emitted and harm caused to others through their vehicles. Sadly, it doesn't seem like Victoria really knows what it's doing at the moment. Instead of a system where payments or subsidies are paid to consumers, the government, and specifically the Treasurer, is pushing to rely on dealerships to pass the savings on to consumers, giving room potentially for some consumers to be exploited when they're expecting the subsidies. And the elephant in the room is the absence of commercial vehicles uh, of any size from this program, or electric scooters and motorcycles. Providing grants to reduce the cost of electric trucks could greatly help young Australian businesses like ACEV and SEA Electric, and would also reduce businesses' running costs who choose to purchase and operate electric trucks. Shifting everyone to electric cars isn't going to solve congestion, but incentivising the uptake of electric scooters and bikes would certainly ease the burden on Victoria's road system. Luckily, across the border, New South Wales isn't going to get into the same brouhaha that Victoria's government created for itself. Last week, the Minister for Transport, Andrew Constance, said that his state will support electric vehicle uptake with a combination of incentives and investment, and that introducing a road user tax too soon would make New South Wales, quote, the laughing stock of the world, unquote. And finally, as we go to air, the Australian government has handed down its 2021-22 budget tonight, and predictably there's nothing in there for electric vehicles as far as we can see. There's $58.6 million to open up new gas fields, $5.6 million for a new national gas infrastructure plan, and $173.6 million to support gas industry road upgrades in the Northern Territory. 
The budget states, quote, These measures build on the 2020-21 measures titled Job Maker Plan, Gas-Fired Recovery, unquote. For reference, JobMaker is the program promised by government 12 months ago to create 400,000 jobs. Thus far, it's created just over 1,000. Why are we throwing cash at a dying industry that doesn't need taxpayer funds? That's all I've got to say about that, but let me know your thoughts on Twitter or on the podcast's page at evbrief.com. Well, that's it for this episode of EV Brief. Thanks so much for tuning in, and please subscribe to this show on your favourite podcasting platform to ensure you don't miss an episode. And head over to evbrief.com to stay up to date with the latest EV news and reviews, including our latest review of Hyundai's Ionic 5. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm Jonathan McFeet, and you've been listening to EV Brief. EV Brief.